Thank you, Robert. Can y'all hear me? All right. Like Robert said, my name is Springer, for those who may not know me, and I'm excited to be here tonight to teach through Haggai. Um, a couple of six weeks ago or so, I uh, taught Obadiah. Um, I got the shortest book in the Old Testament for that, and then now I have the second shortest book with Haggai. Um, Robert had said I drew the short straw for Obadiah. I guess I drew both short straws getting Haggai too, but I don't think that that's the case. Um, I mentioned this last time too, and I was encouraged that Robert mentioned this as a prayer request and as Jeremy was praying um, just about not necessarily just men being in the Word, but men being in the Word and women as well. I, I do a Bible reading plan, and I've done it for years, and it's just kind of, it's what works really well for me, and there's mornings where I'll wake up, and uh, I'll just hit the snooze, because I'm not ready to get up and just snooze and snooze. There's mornings where I'll wake up, and I'll be excited to get into the Word, and that's what kind of gets me out of bed, and then there's sometimes I just want that cup of coffee, uh, and that's what gets me out of bed, but I know that I that might work well for me to go through the Bible reading plan. There's some people who do a Bible reading plan in like three months, read through the entire Bible in three months. I'm not sure that I could do that, but there's some people who take a Bible reading plan and read through it in two years or three years. Um, There's some people who, as Brad was saying, we all kind of study the word differently. There's some people who maybe it works to take a book of the Bible and study it over the course of a month or months uh, but the key is to be in the words. So I really appreciated that prayer by Jeremy and uh, Robert leading us uh, to pray for that. Uh, and that thinking about, about Haggai, and I, like I said, I mentioned this with Obadiah, the, these two books are so easy when you're doing a Bible reading plan to get to them and be like, oh yeah, this is, I can read a whole book of the Bible in about five to ten minutes and just check it off. And for both Obadiah and for Haggai, it's just really easy to read the books and understand what's going on, but maybe not necessarily understand the context. And this is the first time I, that I recall actually studying the book of Haggai. And so I, I, I was really interested in actually digging into it and studying why, why this is happening, why the Lord is calling the people to rebuild the temple at this time. And so I just want to kind of overview the book and what the Lord is calling the people to do. Um, this prophecy is not like our typical or some of our Old Testament prophets that are, you know, telling the people of Judah or Israel of their sin and how they're going to be going into captivity in the years to come. This is actually happening after uh some of the Jews have returned from Babylon and are back in Jerusalem. And it's not necessarily, there is a little bit of uh, rebuke to the people uh, living in Jerusalem at this time, but it isn't, it's a message of hope and asking the people to do something in rebuilding the temple for the Lord. And so, Obviously, the author is Haggai. We don't know much about Haggai. Uh, He's mentioned in a couple of other books in the Bible, but just very briefly. And he was giving these oracles, these messages from the Lord to give to the people in Jerusalem at this time. And the very first verse, it says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, 
the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Um, and so it's clear, very, very clear down to the day of when this was actually, at least the first oracle was given to Haggai, and that is in the second year of Darius the king. And I, I think the timing of this book when it was written is actually pretty important. Um, and we know that Darius became king of Persia in about 522, 521 BC. So this book was most likely written in 520 BC. Um, and the, the five oracles that are contained are all written and given within five months of each, or, each other. The first one given in the sixth month and the last one in about the 11th month. And so the Lord is basically using Haggai, telling him and then telling the people in Jerusalem at this time to get back to work on the rebuilding of the temple. They have been in Jerusalem at this time for about 20 years, and they had been given this command to rebuild the temple, but we're still sitting here 20 years later, and the temple had not been rebuilt. I think it was interesting that Robert also opened us up in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 6 when the temple, which was built by Solomon, was being dedicated. Um, and here we are talking about the Lord calling them to rebuild the temple after the temple that Solomon had built had been destroyed from the invasion of Babylon. And so the first oracle uh, that, that is given is basically kind of the first 11 verses. I don't want to read through these. I've already read, I guess, the first verse. verse. And so verse 2 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord <clears throat> came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. And so we have this clear command from the Lord to the people to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And as I said, I think context is um, important here of knowing, like, why, why are we sitting here 20 years after the Jews have gone back to Jerusalem and the temple has not been rebuilt? And so I want to go back in time 20 years um, from this point to when the Jews came back to Jerusalem. And so to do that, we go to the book of Ezra. Um, Ezra is accounting here in the first chapter from uh, around the year 539 B.C. If we remember, the Babylonians captured Jerusalem in 586, and the Lord said they would be in captivity for about 70 years. Um, and then 539, which is not 70 years, but the Persians defeat Babylon. And so they kind of take over, and Cyrus becomes king. And so Cyrus is the king, and in 538, he gives a proclamation that the Lord has spoken to him. And he says, Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, 
has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, and besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And so then the people uh, respond that are in Babylon, and many of them go back to Jerusalem. Chapter 2 kind of talks about the exiles returning and gives kind of a, a lot of the people who went the numbers of the people and animals and everything that went. Then we see in chapter 3 they're in Jerusalem, and they begin to rebuild the altar. They make um, offerings upon the altar. And then in verse 8 we see they're actually starting to build the temple. Um, and then in verse 10 it says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, the king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And so they began uh, to rebuild the, the temple here. This is, again, 20 years previous to um, where we are in Haggai. And so in chapter 4, it starts talking about adversaries opposing the rebuilding. So they have some adversaries, people in the area, who actually come to them and say, hey, we want to rebuild the temple with you. Um, but Zerubbabel, who is the governor of the land, says, no, this is, this is for us to do. It's not for you to do. And so instead of wanting to join them, they want to now oppose them, and they start just making the work harder for them to do. Um, and then they eventually, as a couple more kings come into power in Persia, they send letters to these kings saying, Hey, basically, these, these guys are rebuilding this temple in Jerusalem. This is not a good thing for you as basically their king. You should stop the work. And so he does. And so the king orders the work to cease. And then we fast forward to chapter 5 in Ezra, which says, Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God, the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. And so that's kind of the history lesson behind like why what happened over these 20 years. Uh, Haggai also says a couple of verses in this first chapter, verse 4, which we read earlier. He says to them, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? And then verse 9 says, You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. So obviously they've had opposition to building, to building the temple, um, which they were scared of. They, this was probably physical op opposition to the they were being threatened if they started building the temple that they would attack them. I'm not exactly sure. But obviously over the course of years, they just kind of forgot about building the house of the Lord. But they did not forget about building their own house. And I don't think that means like 
They literally spent 20 years building their own houses, but they just spent 20 years thinking about themselves, trying to do things for themselves rather than for the Lord. Their focus was not on the Lord, but their focus was on themselves. Twice in chapter 1, um, Haggai through the Lord through Haggai says, consider your ways. So he's telling the people, consider your ways, consider what's happening. He mentions a couple of times in chapter 1 and then later in chapter 2 a few things. Um, in verse 6 he says, you have sown much and harvested little. So they've planted a lot of plants, but their harvest has not been very fruitful. You eat, but you have never, you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. And so consider your ways, consider what you're doing, and consider what's happening. You're, they're not being blessed as the people of God should be blessed. And we'll talk a little bit about that in another point, but um, the Lord is telling them to look at what they are doing that they're concentrating more on themselves than on the Lord. And why is the Lord asking for the house, for his house, for the temple to be rebuilt? Verse 7 says it. Um, Verse 8, I mean. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. And so the Lord obviously takes pleasure in the building of the temple because that's where sacrifices are made and the sacrifices are pleasing to the Lord. And just as Robert read in Second Chronicles chapter 6, the, the glory of the Lord filling the temple um, in those verses that he read, um, that's how the Lord dwelled with his people and how his glory was with them is through the temple. And so the response was actually very quick on behalf of the people. Um, In verse 12, we see, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them, and the people feared the Lord. And so, we don't know how long it was from this first message to the people to verse 12, where they actually responded and repented and turned back. Um, but I think they probably took some time, and they did take the words that the Lord was saying, consider your ways. And they considered their ways. They considered what they were doing. They considered maybe these lack of blessings, maybe call them a curse, curses that are upon them because they're not serving the Lord. They're not seeking the Lord at this time. And so they turn, and they obey the voice of the Lord. And Oracle 2 comes right on the heels of this obedience. And it is in, is in verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. Uh, a very short and simple but very profound oracle. And a great uh, promise that the Lord continues to, has kept for his people and has continues to keep for people that I am with you. It's an oracle of reassurance and hope. And it's in response to them responding in repentance to the Lord and coming back to him. Chapter 2 comes on with a few more oracles. And the first one is the coming glory of the temple. Um, And as I had not thought about the first temple much, uh, when I was studying this, but as Robert was reading that earlier, it, it just kind of hit me over and over. 
uh, the glory of the Lord and the temple um, and this promise here that the, of the coming glory of the Lord. And so I don't want to read all of chapter 2. Let me re- start with sorry, verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Um, it's interesting, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. So the, the glory that will be coming as the temple is rebuilt will be greater than the glory was that, we, that Robert read of um, earlier in Second Chronicles, which just trying to, and we can't really picture what that would have been like, but to think that the glory <clears throat> would be more, I think the people in Haggai's time were also maybe thinking, just specifically about the temple itself. The temple that Solomon built was huge and ornate, and they're seeing nothing but a foundation that had been laid 20 years before. And they're probably thinking to themselves, how in the world could we ever build a temple like that? That Because, of course, it would take a big temple for the glory of the Lord to dwell in a, a, a bigger way than it did. Uh, but we know that that's not true. It doesn't matter necessarily what size uh, temple they're going to build. But the Lord's promise here that his glory will come, I think speaks to when the temple is complete a few years later. But I think it also speaks to Jesus coming um, in about 500 years. Um, as Robert said, that Jesus is the presence and glory of the Lord. But I think it also speaks to his second coming and to eternity uh, when there are people from all nations worshiping the Lord in heaven and, and the Lord's glory is all around us. Because um, as he says there, um, he says, yet once more in a little while. And so in a little while might have been a few years and it might have been 500 years in a little while and it might have been however many years until the Lord comes again that he is looking forward to when we will all be um, surrounded by his glory. Oracle number four comes um, in the latter part of chapter two, uh, which is starting in verse 10. It's blessings for a defiled people. The Lord, thus says the Lord of hosts, starting in verse 11, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? 
When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you in all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. So the Lord is kind of asking them if, you know, if someone touches a dead body, they're obviously, by Old Testament law, they are unclean. So if they go and touch something else, then that other thing is also unclean. So he's talking to these people and saying, hey, you are an unclean people because you are not following me. You're serving yourself. So when you come to make sacrifices, those, it's an unclean sacrifice. And this kind of harks back to um, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Um, as I kind of mentioned earlier, these seemingly curses that have been placed upon the people where it said in verse 6 of chapter 1, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, um, in verse 15, talks about curses for disobedience. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruits, the fruit of the ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. And so I think the people of the Lord are experiencing these curses because they have not been following the Lord. But... We, we see that happen through verse 17, but in verse 18, we hear this. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive, oil, the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. So I think what Haggai and the Lord is speaking to the people here is from before you turned and committed to building this house, you were a defiled people. You were walking away. You were not serving me, but then you have turned. And so from this day on, I will bless you. And I think this is just such a picture of the gospel. Um, This blessings to a defiled people that this, these defiled people, the people in Jerusalem, um, is we are these defiled people. We were all born into this world sinners, turning away from the Lord, a defiled people. Um, and the curse that is upon us for our defilement is death. But we know that Jesus had, that God had a plan to send Jesus to live um, a life without defilement, to live a sinless life, and then to go to the cross and take on our defilement, and then to take our curse, the curse of death, to take that upon himself. He took our curse for us. He died. He rose. He conquered death and sin. And now if we will respond in faith, then we can have the blessing of salvation, the blessing of being brought back into a relationship with the Lord. So just as the Lord 
blesses the people as they have turned back to him. The Lord will bless us if we turn back to him. Um, and that's just a beautiful, obviously, I think, just picture of the gospel here in Haggai. Um, and that, that, that kind of leads us then also to the last oracle, uh, which is a short one. But it, we've talked a little bit about Zerubbabel, who is kind of the governor of the land. Um, he is actually the grandson of, let's see if I get this word, Jehoiakim, which is the really the last king, at least the last king kind of in the lineage of David in Jerusalem uh, that was then taken to Babylon. And I think maybe Jeremiah kind of says that from him on, like the line of David is cut off. Uh, it will be no more. And that's not necessarily the case in that he didn't have any sons because he did have sons. And then his son had a son, um, Zerubbabel being the grandson. Um, but there would not be any more kings in that line um, of David. But what a, a promise we see here at the end, very end. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. And a signet ring being like a king, like something that he kind of almost signs things with. Um, and the Lord doesn't necessarily make Zerubbabel king, uh, but he continues that lineage of David all the way to Jesus. And if we read in Matthew, the lineage of Jesus, Zerubbabel, is found there. And so just seeing that Lord's continued promise of salvation to come through David and his family here in Haggai as well. So how does a book, you know, written 500 years before Jesus, um, so 2,500 years ago, how does this apply to us? How does rebuilding the temple of the Lord apply to um, the church today? Um, I think the first thing is that we are called uh, to seek the Lord. Um, the people in this day were not seeking the Lord. They were seeking their own pleasures, doing things for themselves, not serving the Lord. And I think that's something we all struggle with, of straying away from the Lord, of trying to please ourselves more than the Lord. And I think the Lord wants us, obviously, to serve him. Um, and so I want to read for you from Matthew 6, um, 32 and 33. Uh, the Jesus has just been talking um, a few verses earlier. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Um, talking about look at the birds, how the Lord provides. Um, and talking about clothing and how the fields and lilies, um, how they are clothed. And he says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And so I think we are called, obviously, to turn away from ourselves and to turn to the Lord. And we will receive blessing in this life in the form of salvation. For those of us who trust and believe in Jesus, we know that we have received that blessing. And for those, anyone here who is not, that is the first and foremost blessing that we can receive is to be brought into 
relationship with the Lord by turning from our sin and turning to him. We aren't necessarily promised material or physical blessing in this life, but we will have many blessings to come in the life ahead in eternal life when we're with the Lord forever. Um, and, and what a promise that uh, Haggai mentions a couple of times, um, the second oracle there being of the Lord's telling, I am with you, uh, skipped over a couple of parts in chapter 2 where he again says, I am with you, declares the Lord, fear not, um, and my spirit remains in your midst. That we, If we trust and believe in Jesus, how great a promise that is for us. In the Old Testament, the, the spirit would dwell among the people, but now with what Jesus has done in the new covenant, the Lord dwells in us. I think it was Jeremy was praying this morning after he read the call to worship and, and multiple times just praising the Lord that he is with us um, and he is always with us. Jesus says, I will be with you always until the end of the age. And as I was dwelling upon this, I, it was hard for me to decide, like, is it more amazing that the Lord will dwell with us always or that he will even dwell with us? You know, I, they're both just impossible almost to grasp, but the Lord our God will dwell in us and with us. He'll always be with us forever. It is just an amazing promise that we need to constantly remind ourselves of. And then the last point that I think we can take from this is the Lord isn't calling us to build a temple. He isn't calling us to build a new church or add on to the church. I think, unfortunately, some churches, <clears throat> when they have a building project, they go to Haggai and misinterpret it um, and convince their people that we need to give for the building of whatever they're doing. Uh, but the Lord does call us to build his kingdom. Uh, the temple was rebuilt for the Lord's pleasure and for the Lord's glory. Um, and now we are to build his kingdom for the same reasons, for his pleasure and for his glory as more and more people and our community and across the world come to faith in him. This obviously pleases the Lord and glorifies the Lord. We're not called to just merely be bystanders. We're not called to uh, build this building and just fill it with people, fill it with more people as other people leave. That's not what we want to do. We are called to make disciples. We're called to make disciples here in our community and across the world. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 6 say this, As you come to him, Jesus, as you come to him a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So I think we must respond as the leaders and the people in Jerusalem did in the time of Haggai, and that we must be bold in going out and proclaiming the gospel here in our community, in our neighborhoods, and across the nations to build his kingdom up. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you 
for this night. This is time to gather together, this sweet time to commune with each other, to commune with you, to pray together, to sit under your word. We thank you for this book of Haggai. I thank you for the call that you have placed upon us to not build a building, but to build your kingdom. I pray that we in our lives would first and foremost seek you and your kingdom and that we would seek to build your kingdom. That we would see the many lost people around us and that we would desire to see your kingdom built not just for numbers sake, not to just fill this church with a lot of people, but God, that you would save many people in this community, that you would continue to send people out from this church to the nations to take your gospel to places that have never heard it. God, I pray that you would remind us of your great promise that you are with us and that you are with us always until the end of the age. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.